Hello and welcome to The Heady Corner. I'm your host, Annalise, and I hate recording intros. Um, Part of the thing that I procrastinate most is recording these because I do it separately, which I know it's a terrible idea because I hate doing it later. And I'm sitting here awkwardly in a room on my own, looking at a screen, trying not to script it so I don't sound like a robot, but also trying not to ramble on way too fucking much before the show even starts. Thanks for everything, guys. Um, Thank you for following me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and wherever else. And would really appreciate if you guys are enjoying these episodes so far. If you come over and hit follow or subscribe to whatever platform you're using to hear these on. If you want to rate the show, that would be incredible. If you would like to leave me a review, please don't tell me I'm shit. I say that enough to myself, so I don't need to hear it from you guys. But if you do have something nice to say, that would be lovely. It would make my day. Um... Anyway, if you are wondering who our special guest is this week, it is a friend of mine. Um, I've known him since high school. I went to the Australian Institute of Music in year 11, and I only stayed there for year 11, sadly, before going to another high school, which I hated so much. Um, but in that one awesome year, I got to meet James Avanyi, who is a stellar human, and he is, yeah, amazing, stupidly talented. Um, self-taught. Who knew? Not me. Um, So please do have a listen to this episode and where I ask him all sorts of awesome questions, a little bit about our history and, you know, those good old days back at AIM and some of the first bands that he was in and what sort of inspired him to get to where he is today. Advanced apology to all the music nerds out there. I don't ask any tech questions in this episode, so please don't get your hopes up. Um, That's not happening because I know nothing about guitar. I can play a handful of chords and sing along and that's about it. And then I rely on my awesome friends to do the rest. Uh, (laughs) So enough rambling. I'm going to shut up now. Um, That's my intro. Thank you for persisting. And here is the interview with James. Shall we jump into it? Let's do it. How old were you when you first picked up a guitar and what was the driving force behind that? Um, I don't know how old I was, but... um I actually played the drums first. That was the first instrument that I played. And I picked that up really young. I mean, my, my father was a drummer. And so I kind of just had it in the family and in the, in the blood and he encouraged it. And so I want to say, yeah, I don't know how old one is when they're in year four or year five, but I kind of specifically remember being at the primary school that I was at. That's how old I was when I started playing drums. And I did that all the way up until I was in high school. And I think I only picked up a guitar for the first time when I was like 17. It's kind of late in the game as far as, you know, like career guitarists go. So it was kind of late. And yeah, I was staying at a friend's house and his older sister had an electric guitar sitting around. And I remember being like, oh, that's cool. And it had like jerk and tool stickers on it and I was like oh this is cool and I just started noodling around with it and I just yeah I just I was just immediately taken with the idea of being able to write the song which is something as a drummer you can't do Mm. and um I asked if I could borrow the guitar because she'd she'd just you know tossed it in the corner never to be used again and um guess the rest is history so they say so I was about 17 and um yeah like from from day dot I just never put it down. I kind of fell in love with it very fast and then kind of committed my whole existence to trying to get better at it. So does that mean you're self-taught or did you take lessons or a bit of a mixture of both? Yeah, I would I would predominantly say self-taught. Um, the, the only guitar lessons I had, you know, you could count on one hand. I went to a few, I got, it got to this point where I think my mum uh, identified that 
you know, it was something that was really important to me and she wanted to try and see if, uh, yeah. you know, she could invest in that pursuit. So she did sign me up to some guitar lessons, like at our local music shop or something. And, um, it was really interesting. The, the, the lessons were terrible. The guy, he didn't care about what I wanted to do or what I was interested in. He was very much so just like, you know, <laughs> learn this boring stuff, which in hindsight is probably really important. But at the time I just wanted to rock, yeah. you know, I know that feeling. <laughs> so, so it turned me off the guitar in like a massive way. I went twice and then I was like, ah, oh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm over it. I don't want to do this homework. I, don't, I hate, you know, this is no fun. And, um, thankfully my mom was like, look, we'll try somewhere else one more time. We'll try another teacher. And, um, so I went to this other local music store and it was very ghetto. Like the, the lessons took place in the kitchenette out the back. Nice. And, um, but I met this great guy there. Um, his name was Peter. I just remember he, like straight away, he was like, so what do you want to, what do you want to know? And I was like, what do you mean? What do I want to know? You know, I was expecting to get bombarded with boring homework again. He was like, anything, just what do you want to know? I was like, oh, do you know this Led Zeppelin riff? And he just played it and then showed it to me. And I was like hooked on guitar forever from that point. He just made it really fun. And I think I had probably about three lessons with him until I went to my fourth one. And sadly, he like had just vanished. Some like bad things had happened in his life and he never came back. And I never got to do lessons with him ever again, um, which was pretty pretty heartbreaking because I was really attached to him and the lessons, but I did continue on. He infected me with the, with the uh, motivation to keep doing it. Uh, there, there used to be a cafe here in Double Bay called DB's that was open 24 hours a day. So it became quite a haunt for like artists and people of the night, if you will. And so when we would rehearse back in my old band, you know, this had always been after work, midweek, finish at midnight, getting home by two kind of thing. And so we'd often go to DB's and have like a debrief and a tea or whatever. And I go there one night and there's a guy playing grand piano. Lo and behold, it was him. And I was like, Peter, do you remember me? He's like, oh my God, James. Yes, I remember you. <laughs> and we ended up hanging there for the whole night. And he told me, yeah, like a, a bunch of like, you know, he suffered some tragedies in the family and he kind of moved overseas and blah, blah, blah. So I did get to reconnect with him and I told him that I can you know, found out that I was a career guitar player, which made him very happy at that point. Yeah. Those were the only kind of formal lessons I had. Obviously, I went to the Institute of Music um, to do HSE and um, the music diploma. So I suppose I had some kind of music teaching influence brought on me there. But those are the really only official like guitar lessons I had. Yeah, yeah. Mostly self-taught. No, no, that's awesome. I I am so for like just trying to teach yourself anything. Yeah, I think that is important, especially at the beginning. I know I guess that stage was like, okay, I really need a professional to like step in and guide me <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> once once you're up and running, it's it's kind of easier to connect the dots. Yeah. But when you just know nothing at the beginning, it can be really, really challenging. So definitely. Um it was definitely beneficial to me, especially to have someone that made it fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, I've just kind of dove headfirst into it and mostly self taught. So what did you want to be when you grew up as a kid then, if you didn't pick up guitar until much later in life? <laughs> what did I want to be when I grew up? I actually wanted to be a pilot. Yeah, okay. That was that was like it, I think, if I didn't do music. And uh, unfortunately, I've come too far to go back now. Never. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's true. I, I really wanted to be a pilot. I've always been a massive aviation nerd. Yeah, cool. I, I don't know why, but just for as far back as I can remember, I was. I go to air shows every year. I drag my wife along to them to, b- begrudgingly. 
Um, but yeah, that, that'd be cool. That's something that I really wanted to do. Always been fascinated with planes and aviation. And, um, one day I always kind of keep a tab open that one day, maybe I'll get my private pilot's license when the time is right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's probably what I would have done. I reckon. That's a cool plan. I think you should definitely still get it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. We're not that old yet. <laughs> Fly myself around on tours. It'd be very handy. Yeah, maybe maybe Bruce can teach you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? What a boss. <laughs> That's, what a god. You know, absolutely. Uh, so were you in any other bands before Transfix or was that the, the sort of start? Oh, my God. Transfix. Yeah. I, like, I, like, my hard drive had overridden that. I forgot all about that. Yes, Transfix, my lord. So that was the band I was in when I was at AIM. Yep, that's when we met. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I love that you've opened up the ancient history museum. Oh, don't you worry. I have so many photos and videos and all of that. What? I photograph like every rehearsal and I've got, yeah, all these crazy videos from the Annandale and... Like, oh, my God, I like... <laughs> yes, they're like my my ancient old hard drive is like firing up that I do remember that. I do remember you doing that. And Davey was smoking in venues because you could still smoke on stage back then. That That's how old school we're talking. Uh, I would love to see that. All right, I'll dig them up. <laughs> if, if you, I mean, I would love to see that if yeah. you have any of that stuff. Um, Absolutely. Lord. Okay, so I don't know. Uh, oh, actually, yes. So I was... I was in bands before that. Yeah. Uh, nothing professional and they didn't do anything except they were just fun and we were, we were all trying our best. Um, I was in a band in high school called Schnitzelfoot. Oh, cool. Yep, that's just what it was called. Um, what, what sort of style are we talking? It was like kind of grungy rock. I think it was all we could manage at the time. Nice. Um, <laughs> it was with myself and a couple of local Bondi skateboarder boys that uh, were kind of in my circle. Yeah, but they didn't. It didn't do you know gigs or anything. I think it was more just like a fun escapism and and um, just like a, like just a healthy thing that we all did together. I think yeah. I think maybe Transfix was the first band that I ever did that got out and did public shows and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm still cranky that my mom didn't let me go to Metalstock that year. Like I still have a grudge all these oh, years later. Yeah, so. Metalstock. Yes, that was. <laughs> I'm bringing back the memories today. You really are. Wow. I have funny stories about that. Um, oh, please do tell. <laughs> well, yeah. Here's a funny story about metal stock, which was really fun. I mean, it was a great thing. We were, you know, obviously young, very free range and unsupervised. So it was, um, it was good fun. Uh, I just always remember whenever someone says that metal stock, I remember like being embarrassed to my core at the fact that my mom, she was so sweet. She wanted to like support my like musical endeavors. So like yep. her and a friend came all the way out to wherever that place was in the outback, wherever scone? the hell it was. Was it up at Scone? Yes, Scone. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they, you know, got a hotel and they came and my mom, like just such a classic mom. I think it was over Easter. Yes. That, that sounds about right. I think it was like an Easter thing. So like, yeah, my mum being like classic mum started handing out Easter eggs to people. Oh, my God, that's adorable. And so I have this like vision of like all these like hardcore metal people with like corpse paint on all like excitedly <laughs> gathering around my mother to get an Easter egg. 
And uh, my mom was like, that's my boy, James. And and uh, it was, looking back on it, it was very sweet. It was very embarrassing at the time. I can imagine. But no, that is totally adorable. Yeah, pretty funny. My mom just handing out Easter eggs to all the true metal boys. Hey, we're all, we're all softies at heart. So yeah, metal stock. My God, you are definitely cracking open the archives. Um, well, that's the thing. Like I was thinking about it. So pretty much all of the venues that I saw you guys play at and the ones that I would have photographed back then, like we're all underage. I was what, 16. Mm. You guys would have been what, 17, 18, if, if you were lucky. Yeah, definitely. Like if you think about it. So there was like the Excelsior, there was the, um, the, Anna, well, the Annandale isn't what it Shame. used to be. Um, definitely not. What was that other one up on, um, Favreau Street? Was that the Excelsior? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. That's right. There's like a Mexican restaurant now. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, that gave you guys and probably just anyone who, who was still, you know, under 18 at that stage, like a, a place to play. And I know a lot of venues, you know, don't do underage gigs anymore and there's not that many opportunities. Mm. So what kind of, like looking back, like what sort of influence do you think, you know, having that kind of opportunity had on you to get to where you are now as well? Mm. Oh, super important. I mean, I think when you're young, you just you know, especially the age that we were when we were doing those things, you know, you just, you don't have, you don't have perspective, you know, you don't have wisdom, you don't have maturity. And a lot of those things like hold people back from doing stuff like that. So I think just being young and just like not knowing any better and getting up there and playing and thinking you're a rock star and all this kind of stuff, it, it just normalizes the whole notion of playing for the public. Yeah. You know, now I, now I work on the other side of that thing and I work with a lot of people and develop artists and, you know, they've never done that. They never did that when they were younger. Uh, they never had the opportunity to do it because, as you pointed out, like there are just so few places to do it. Um, it's not like what it was. So I think it was just, yeah, really beneficial from day dot, just normalizing the idea of working on stagecraft, playing with your friends, playing for the public. And, you know, playing live is really where the rubber meets the road of the whole musical enterprise. Yeah. So a lot of the up and coming young guys that I know, you know, there's like this over-reliance of social media and uh, like lots of performance anxieties associated with it. And a lot of people, have, you know, had very little exposure to playing live. And yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it was good. It was good to think that I had that opportunity to do it when we were young and young and dumb and had no no idea what was better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, like, aside from you know meeting some really incredible people when we were at AIM, what are some of your other you know good memories and highlights from the AIM days, um, or even like Transfix gigs or anything anything from that era before we move on mm, to the next era? Yeah. Well, I think. I look back on our time there and that kind of crew that we were in and you were in it as well. It was like just some of the best and most wholesome people I ever had the kind of privilege of knowing. I think we were all, you know, like uh, we were all the oddballs, weren't we, at this? And I think I think we'd cultivated such a wonderful little community friendship between the years that we were at AIM. I, and I feel like everyone in my in the whole year that I was in, we were all one crew. And I, I remember being in a high school art, uh, sorry, before that, where, you know, everyone comes into their little cliques and it's all very separate. And, um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, that period of my life and all the people in it definitely, I, I think, were crucial to this idea of like normalizing wanting to be a creative. And um, at a time where I guess we're, we're kind of young, very young adults and quite impressionable and there's external pressures to do this with your life and blah, 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 blah. 
um, I think it was really good just to at that important time be around people that just totally also wanted to do creative things with their lives kind of against against the classic norm if you will um and just be free to explore you know like especially with transfix and we we just had no idea what we were doing we just had an opportunity to try and emulate what we were seeing from the big boys yeah i look back on it with with huge fondness it was just a lovely time and i think yeah as far as i understand aim isn't what it was when we were there it was a wonderful environment that I think cultivated really good people, a really good just energy. Um, definitely critical for me yeah. as far as becoming a musician. I don't think I would have done it if I wasn't there yeah. and around those people. No, no, no. I can see that looking back, especially, yeah, if you picked up guitar at 17. So did you go to AIM as a drummer or did you go as a guitarist? Like kind of half, half. Half, half. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, you were in year 12 when I got there, so you were fully playing guitar by that stage. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of hard to remember. Um, I, by that point, had committed for sure, but when I went to the Institute of Music, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to do drums or guitar. And uh, it's amazing I even chose to do guitar because when I went there, I, I felt like I was like the best guitarist in my high school. And then when I came to aim, I was the worst guitarist at aim. And, uh, so it was extremely stressful, <laughs> but, uh, luckily, luckily everyone was cool and pushed me to do it. So it worked out. Yeah. When you were saying that, it's like, I actually think I've got some photos of you behind a drum kit at aim in the rehearsal rooms. I'll do a dig. Mm. <laughs> That'll be my project after this. <laughs> please, please dig away. I would love to see that. That would be a trip out. So from my memory, the next band you're in was Paradigm. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And so what are, what are some of your memories from that era? It's really funny, actually. I, I haven't spoken about Paradigm in like a decade. And just today, randomly, I was working with a client of mine whose record I'm producing. And he was like, oh, man, I just really want to check out Paradigm and check out your old band. And it's just so funny that today here we are talking about it twice. Um, I think, yeah. Looking back on Paradigm, I think it was the band that was in play for me to transition from like hobby guitar play into potentially taking it into a more professional place. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're in your early bands and, and those kind of things, you're limited to working with people that are like in your immediate social circle. So the kind of talent pool is like small, but you grow together as much as you can. Um, I think with with Paradigm, I was able to work with people that we kind of picked you know uh, for the yeah. skills and the band had a few um uh like a member changes along the way and i i feel like eventually it got to a point where the band was it was good and it was well respected uh as a contender in the kind of domestic metal scene and we ended up you know doing some good tours and some good shows and playing with some big international bands and so yeah and no, i look back on it really fondly it, I, I learned to be like kind of take on the production role in that band and like write and record everything and make the albums and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learn a lot of valuable kind of like band management skills, which are always really difficult to <laughs> get a grip of as well. And so, yep. <laughs> yeah, I think the band, it did well. It did about as much as it could and got about as big as it was ever going to get. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was the last kind of like proper metal band that I ever did. Mm. That's what I was thinking. I was like, 
was there something between that or from there? Like what was what was the the fueling fire to then go solo and, and when did you start teaching? So what was kind of the yeah, yeah. the journey from when Paradigm ended to um COVID? Well before you started your group and then COVID, I guess. Yeah. So Paradigm, you know, in order for a band to get to the place it was, it requires, you know, like a huge amount of investment and time, both just intellectually, financially, just everything. Um, and I I guess just like it had a lot of traditional band teething issues. You know, we were all young men going different ways. People had girlfriends and jobs and only X amount of annual leave and all kinds of things that they were kind of having to balance, you know, I guess, again, because we were young and maybe it wasn't managed as well as it could have been. There was like resentments and stuff like I'd certainly built up just a resentment of the fact that I'd taken on the role of like doing almost everything. Yeah. Okay. And at some point I just realized that it just like, it wasn't fun. So it was fun for ages. And then I just, the thought of doing anything in the paradigm sphere just became kind of like this taxing mental, exhausting (laughs) place to be in. Yep. And, um, yeah, it just got to this point where I kind of stopped enjoying music and stopped enjoying playing. And I caught myself thinking, look, it's, it's not that I don't enjoy music and that I don't enjoy playing guitar. I think it's just a lot of other things. And it's important for me to get back to enjoying music again, you know, cause at that point it was my whole life. It wasn't my professional life. I was still working like a regular kind of job at that time. Uh, so I just decided that in an attempt to save the band and also just save my own passion for music, I would just take a year off yep. and just write an album for myself, just like an instrumental album where I kind of did everything. I had zero intentions for it to go beyond my like immediate friend circle. And so I just did that. And through the course of that year, I guess, cause I've, steered the ship for paradigm the band kind of collapsed and everyone went their own ways and that was fine but i'd then done this instrumental record which i like i said really had no intention of doing anything with but um through the paradigm thing i'd become friends with like a lot lots of other international guitar players and musicians and i kind of involved them in the project and um yeah, eventually just released the album. I had no idea there even was an instrumental guitar scene happening at the time. I really had no concept of any of that. I just kind of plopped it out there. And uh, yeah, randomly it, it did like really well. <laughs> like <laughs> lots of people were really interested in it. And um, it was kind of like, yeah, an, an important stepping stone into, you know, being introduced to some international companies and other international musicians and kind of like found myself as having that as the main gig, I'd kind of like inadvertently transitioned into doing this kind of instrumental guitar thing. And at the time, like I said, I didn't know, but at the time Mm. there was like a big resurgence of instrumental guitar music out there in the scene. And I guess I got kind of placed into that wave of young guys coming up and doing instrumental guitar music. And uh, yes, here we are. (laughs) Timing is everything, isn't it? Definitely. Just throw it out there and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny how that works out. I really had no intention of ever doing instrumental guitar music or being a guitar guy, Yeah, but uh, it just kind of worked out that way, which is, which is interesting. It's very cool. Mm. 
All right, I'm going to put you back into that mindset. Like pretend we're, we're back in the aim days, rehearsing in the studios, drinking like way too much caffeine at Bar Tosca, <laughs> you know, doing amateur photo shoots in the alleys around Favot Street. Now, did you ever think that you would ever have your own signature guitar? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Tell me about that. What was that process like? I know you had a bit of a partnership with them and then sort of how did it go from there, really? Yeah, I mean... Look, it's it's just so crazy, even still. Like I, I try. I was telling my wife, like I try not to actually think about it that much because whenever I start to actually try and intellectualize the fact that that's a thing that has happened, I have this like computer <laughs> meltdown of the brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, definitely not. I uh, especially because I've always harbored these strange feelings of feeling like a phony guitarist because like. I just never had that, like, you know, guitar number one kind of thing. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm aware that it's kind of, you know, a very, very significant honor to be the receiver of, and very few people uh, ever get that opportunity. Um, So I definitely didn't anticipate that happening. Um, The fact that it has happened, I think, is still crazy. I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. I thought that when it was released, <laughs> then I would be used to the the fact and the concept. Um, but no, I'm definitely not. Every time I see it or I remember that it's happened, it feels very, very like it's happened to someone else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'd been with the company uh, Sir Guitars for 10 years before that happened. Um, and so over that time, I suppose, yeah, we've we'd formed like a really... Uh, great relationship and friendships. Okay, well, um, it's a long time. And they've seen me go from pretty much the end of paradigm to today. So yeah, it's 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 a wonderful honor and very very humbled that it's happened. And I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. To be honest, <laughs> you don't have to. Well, tell me about Nam. What what are those experiences like for someone who's never been? Like, what is it? Well, I mean, you'd love it. If I guess if you're just like a music fan and you know enjoy existing in the music sphere, it's just cool. I think I've been nine or ten times now. I can't remember. Um, it's one of, one of those. It's absolute madness is the first thing. It's like I think it's the biggest uh, convention of any convention in the world. So NAM is just enormous. So many people go to it. It's really crazy. Like I said, I've been that many times, and every time I'm there, I'm like, my God, this is just insane how big it is and how many people are here. But the best bit about it, obviously, there's all the gear nerdery because everyone, all the companies release and then exhibit all their new gear in this one spot. So everyone's kind of nerding out over the gear. (laughs) But the best thing around it is that just kind of everyone that's relevant to you and your existence and all your friends from all over the world, everyone's just like in one spot for one week. So it gives you this really great opportunity to hang with people uh, that, you know, are separated by different countries and stuff. Everyone can just be together. For me, Nam is all about the hangs. It's the chance to see all those guys, line up dinners, have big nights. It's kind of like the whole internet becomes real people for like one <laughs> week. It's always good fun. That's cool. All right, I've got some a couple more questions. So let's talk about touring and tell me your worst to a story or memory that you're happy to share, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, there would be many bad things that have happened. Um <laughs> But uh, I'm trying to think what the worst was. It's not particularly like a bad thing, but it's something that stayed with me. Mm. And I think about it sometimes and it's it's had like real implications on my actual life. I remember once we did this show, uh, I, I guess like a lot of bands 
who, you know, people who are juggling, you know, full-time jobs and families and stuff, a lot of the time these tours have to happen in a way that yep. uh, impact those things as little as possible. And oh, I can't remember exactly what the deal was, but we had to play a string of shows and then the way it worked out was that we had to drive from, I think, Adelaide to Sydney and then we had to go from Sydney to Melbourne and we played that Melbourne show, you know, 10 o'clock at night or out of the venue early hours of the morning. The guy had to be at work back in Sydney the next morning. <laughs> no. So we had to, yeah, like do that show and then pile into the this van and go. And, yeah, I think the worst part about that was that we were just so overstretched and the guy who was driving at the time fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, my God. And came off the road and we all kind of awoken to the thing off the side of the road, like very, very, very narrowly by some sheer, you know, Jesus, magic did not crash, but came very close to a very precarious situation. Yeah, far out. I guess that would be like one of the worst touring things that has happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, all kinds of stuff. We've, we've arrived in cities and guitars haven't arrived on the plane and oh, no. like all, all kinds of stuff. Gear, catastrophic gear failures. Oh no. And yeah, it just, it goes with the territory. It's just the big unknown. So there's this constant kind of fight or flight situation to get through. But for the most mm. part, I haven't had too many terrible things happen touring wise. Like um, I've been pretty fortunate, I, I would say, compared to people that I know who have had some pretty bad things happen. I've never had to like cancel a show or anything like that. So that's. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And do you have any bucket list festivals or venues that you'd like to play? You know, like in a dream world, no, no limitations, no restrictions. Oh, no limitations. Well, no limitations. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely. If, if I was just to kind of fantasize about playing some venues, even here, I would love to play uh, at the Enmore Theatre. Yeah, cool. Um, it's a venue that whenever I'm there, I mean, it's such a beautiful theatre. I always find that it sounds lovely and it's such a great, great place. I would love to play there. I would love to do red rocks yeah in the u.s that'd be cool which i mean just what a surreal experience that would be just that whole outdoor like the way it looks the way it presents it's just so amazing i mean look you you pick the famous venue and i want to play <laughs> it you know what i mean yeah <laughs> it's a silly question but you know sadly i don't know if that'll happen but we'll see my my stuff i i think will mostly be reserved to like you know small niche clubs but Maybe, maybe someday. At the very least, in my fantasy imagination, that could happen. And what about if you could go on the road with any band or muso, dead or alive? Who would it be? Dead or alive? God. Um, Just to make it, you know, more difficult to choose. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to pick. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I have a big soft spot for kind of like the classic era of like rock and prog, like, like late 60s, uh, mid 70s kind of bands. It, it'd be great to tour with any of those bands that were there at kind of the birth of rock, I think would be incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, Zeppelin, Purple, any of those kind of groups that were there when rock music was being invented, I think would be incredible. Yeah. Obviously, they, those bands have nothing to do with the kind of music that I do, but I think is just, it, it, it would be deeply fascinating to be able to fly on the wall that portion of time you know yeah sometimes i think about the fact that 
members of, say, Led Zeppelin are alive. I, I get so tripped out by that because in my brain they're like these, you know, emperor gods from a day gone, but they're still alive. Mm. And um, it's just it's amazing to me to think like what they've seen, what they know. Yeah, my, my um, anytime someone's like, oh, if you could invite anyone to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Mine's always Brian May because oh. I feel like he'd tell the best fucking stories you've ever heard. I mean, one, <laughs> imagine... Like, right. <laughs> imagine the first person experience of like what he's lived through. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. So those, those kind of things, I guess, in the, in the fantasy universe, definitely. Um, I mean, there's heaps of, uh, you know, great artists in the instrumental world that I'm in now that it'd be great to line up some tours and do things with. Touring has not been a big part of what I actually do mm. um, as far as my musical existence. I'm looking at doing a lot more of it over the next 24 months to kind of change it up a little bit because I've put out a lot of music over the last few years. Yeah. I'm just keen to get out of my house post-COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely looking to do quite a bit more playing. The band are all on board. We're kind of on the same page there. So that's going to be the focus of the next 24 months. Mm. Well, that kind of leads into to my next question quite nicely because I was going to say it's been nearly – four years to not quite the date. So I think it was September 23rd. Uh-huh. And I only remember that because that's where I met my now partner at the gig where you and Taranto played. Oh, no way. Um, So it's kind of like an anniversary for us. Oh, awesome. Awesome. What are you looking forward to most about those shows that are coming up? And obviously I've known Taranto for quite some time as well. So what's it like, you know, getting back together and playing, you know, gigs with people you've played with before and, and bringing that sort of vibe back? Look, I, I'm so excited for it. I'm definitely nervous about it as well. Um, I think we all are a little bit just cause, you know, we haven't played in a couple of years and we're also playing a lot of new material and material that is like, you know, difficult to pull off, I think in the live setting. So we're going to be doing some of the sigil material, which is an acoustic album. I'm going to be playing the acoustic live, which is something we just haven't done before. So there's a big element of just first time things attached to this, which is both exciting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah, cool. But yeah, just to get out there and and play those songs live for the first time, I, I really can't wait. And to just see the lads get us all into a room and and all the things that happen when you're together, it's 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 so much fun. And I, I'm so stoked to be bringing Taranto out because he's since rightfully so, like you know, blossomed into you know being considered. I mean without hesitation like he's technically one of the best guitarists alive and to ever do it it's incredible and i think a lot of us who have known him have kind of always known that but he i don't think he was very visible until he started releasing music you know with the helix nebula and also with his now instrumental stuff he's getting the recognition that he long deserves yeah and so it's just it's crazy cool to bring him out on the shows and and his band are also really good guys and are keen to do a lot more playing as well. So it should be fun. There should be lots of notes, I imagine, through the <laughs> evening. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, and st- I mean, you know, Stevie, Stevie T's the man. Watching him play live is awesome. I saw him play for the first time uh, not too long ago when he was opening up on a Pliny tour. Yep, I was there. And, um, yep, so awesome. So goddamn awesome. So I'm, yeah, definitely reluctant to play after him every night. <laughs> Oh, I can only just imagine what he would say to you saying that. 
<laughs> oh, as if. Yeah, he'd, he'd be too high end. Classic, classic Stevie. Too humble. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah. So it's cool. It, it's kind of a treat, you know, to to have him out on it and, and for us to be back doing it. And also, like, it just feels like a good, it should be a good, wholesome run. I'm really excited for it. It will be. It will be. Um, so what's next for you to conquer after this tour? Look, I don't know. Um, which is a which is an interesting place for me to be in. I've I always have these kind of twelve month plans that I um try to stick to. And, you know, like a lot of things have happened this year. A lot I've put out a lot of music and a lot of products. And so the idea is that you know, I don't know how, how it is for other people, but for me, I, I have to be kind of hyper-focused on one thing at a time in order to see it through uh, in a way that I'll be satisfied with it. So yeah. for me, I've had to not do as much live playing and touring in order to be able to pull off all of those things. So because now my focus over the next 24 months is going to be on touring, I'm making an effort to not work on, you know, music in any really committed sense mm-hmm. and you know to do tours and stuff i think you know you, you just need to have the books open you need to have time open to be able to say yes and jump on things so i'm trying to put myself in a place where i'm not like neck deep in some project yeah and then i have to like maybe stop it and go away because i'm pretty sensitive to like creative used by dates you know i always find mm-hmm. that if i don't get something done in a, in a quick fashion, I tend to just like, I don't know, creatively move away from it and I don't want to do it anymore. So yeah, I'm trying to just kind of keep things a little bit more open. I've got lots of stuff going on, but I'm trying not to commit to any, you know, like massive musical project or something over the next year, at least. So we'll see what comes of it. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see it. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for taking some time out of your day today to have a chat and walk down memory lane. Oh, man, pleasure. Uh, absolute pleasure. Um, <laughs> it definitely was a trip down memory lane. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig out those those pictures. I was going to ask if you're you're happy for me to share some of them. Oh, please. <laughs> I, I, I would be deceased to see them. I have the hilarious ones of us just like hanging around in the park next to Tosca. I've got photos of all of us just all sorts of random shit because, you know, budding, you know, aspiring photographer back then. I can only, I remember that now. I remember that you were doing that. And what, what's, what's so special about that is that, you know, this is like, that time was like pre-phone time, pre-everything captured for yeah. social media and stuff. So I feel like we're lucky that you were there to capture that stuff. Yeah, I've got all the archives. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm also terrified to see what kind of hideous goblins we were back then. God. <laughs> I've got it all. That's, that's a worry. Yeah. But look, it was an absolute pleasure. And um, I guess, yeah, just stay in touch. Yeah, same. And it was lovely to see you and reconnect again. Like, it's always funny how it feels like just picking up from when I last saw you, as weird as those things always happen, you know? Agree. Fully agree. And I always feel bad coming up to you at gigs because I know there's like a thousand people who want to speak to you. So I'm just in the corner being like, hi, bye. Uh, yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's always tough. Like, this is like my least favorite environment to like socialize in. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for the chat and I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Speak to you then. Bye. That's it, guys. Thanks again for listening to the episode. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to have a listen to James and I go down memory lane and have a good old chat about all sorts of random crap as per usual. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear a little bit more, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to hear this episode. If you're keen to support the show, it would be amazing if you can rate or review the podcast and follow me online at The Heavy Corner. 
I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And I think that's about it. But please come over and say hi. Would really love to hear from you and know what you're thinking. That's super vague. Um, Not generally speaking, but about the podcast and other random shit about music. And if you're really super keen to hear more and to make sure that I keep on track, make sure I keep posting episodes and making sure that someone can help me to edit these episodes, um, please come over to Patreon to support the show. I desperately tried to do all of this on my own. And as I said previously, I hate asking for help. I'm so convinced that I can just learn how to do stuff and do it and just keep on doing it. But that's not a reality because I have a full-time job and this is just something I do on the side as a passion project because I love asking people random questions. And well, I do this as part of my day job. Half of it is writing questions and interview questions for artists and musicians all sorts of people, probably not so much in this job, but I definitely used to do it all the time and I never used to be on camera. I would just be the question writer. Yeah, I thought, fuck it. I'm going to start asking the questions and I'm going to do it with some of my favorite humans. So Patreon, the first 150 supporters of the show will get a limited access to a tier called the Mosha. Um, what is that? It's a $1 a month tier um, and that's US dollars. So about what, two bucks in Australian dollars for those guys of you who are from Australia. And then for the rest of you, yep, a dollar in US dollars, whatever that converts to. Um, and this will help cover some of the running costs, including the software that I use to record these sessions. Also as well to keep the hosting up and running for both the show and also to keep the website running. I wanted to create a place on the internet where we can just talk shit about music and gigs and I'll share some behind the scenes photos and videos from concerts, um, from archives, bloopers from these episodes. You don't want to hear me talking more shit. Trust me, I won't be sharing that, but definitely stuff from the guests who, uh, well, yeah, just random stuff that didn't make it into the episode and also videos and recordings and all sorts of random crap that I've collected over the years. Best of all, part of this uh, tier, you can submit questions for upcoming guests and I'll choose a few for each episode. So you don't want to miss out on that. All you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash the heavy corner. Last but not least, a special thank you to everyone who's already following the show. Really appreciate it. Trust me more than you will ever know. And also thank you to my amazing guests who have been gracious and willing to give me some of their time to have a chat big shout out to Dan for writing the intro and outro music. Um, He recorded that at home after me pestering him that I had no music and I really needed something. So thank you, Dan. Check out the show notes. There's lots of details in there about the fantastic guests, how to follow them, where to find them. Um, Also some information about the people who are now helping me to put this show together so that I can ensure it comes out once a month on time and that I don't go another eight to 10 months between episodes. So thank you again and see you next time. 